So 30 years ago, uh, my, my parents moved from Spokane, Washington to Davenport, Washington. It's about 45 miles away. It'll actually be 30 years ago this June 4th. This coming uh, June 4th will be 30 years. And my parents have lived in two houses that whole time. One house for about a year, and the second house for about 28 years. And so majority of my life, I lived in one house growing up. And it was a, a nice little town. It's the size of Baker. And so my neighbors actually were the people right next door. It wasn't, I wasn't out in the country, so my neighbors were miles and miles down the road. They were right next door. And I think for the most part, I had the same neighbors uh, to, the, to the house to the, the west of us. And it was a man by the name of Dave. Uh, he had a wife, I can't think of her name, and, and two daughters. And uh, they were really good people. Uh, we, had, we, didn't have, we had a fence between us because they had a great big white Pyrenees that didn't mesh well with little kids. But other than that, there was, like, there was no conflict. There was a short fence so that you could see over, so that you could be friendly with. And as, as I grew up, I, I played with uh, his daughters, uh, the, the older one. My best friend back home, uh, it was his girlfriend. So we kind of palled around together. We ate lunch together at school. We watched movies together. We went swimming at the lake together. We did all sorts of things together. And I always thought, these are nice people. They're, they're good people. I really like these people. Well, as time went down the road, I took a, uh, a class at Moody. It was in the spring of 1998. And I told you before that I had to do personal evangelism, which means I had to go and tell people about Jesus and that for a grade. And that's scary to do, but I did it. And my mom tried to talk me into going. Uh, she had led a lady to the Lord a few years previous to that, and she wanted me to go talk to her husband. And I wish I did, but I didn't because I was intimidated by him. But I thought, I like this neighbor next door. I'm going to go talk to him. And it turned out to really surprise me, because as I started sharing the gospel with him, he turned around and started talking to me about the Bible. He told me about Moses and about all sorts of Old Testament things that I didn't even know. I mean, I was a 19-year-old kid, first year of Bible school, and I was just getting overwhelmed by what this guy was telling me. And at the moment, I was just thinking, how do I get out of here? This guy knows all this stuff. He knows more than I do. This is really awkward. You know, try to tell someone about the Lord who already knows. I think about the Lord, it just, you really better know your stuff, right? But, you know, so at the time, I was just thinking, okay, that was the wrong person to talk to. But as I, as I got to thinking later on, it, it started to dawn on me, well, what, what's the deal with this guy? He was a very good guy. He was a great neighbor. He had good kids. He was very moral. Nobody in town, I think, would question his character. He was a certified public accountant. Everything he did was on the up and up. But I never saw enough in me to, to be convinced that this guy uh, didn't need Jesus. I, I just assumed he did. I thought he was a good guy. That's why I wanted to tell him. But he knew a whole bunch, but it didn't seem to be translating into his life. I never saw him go to church. I never saw him be a part of, of, of outreach. He didn't try to share the gospel. I mean, as far as I knew, he was just a good guy who knew a lot about what the Bible said. And I think he had something we're going to talk about today. I think he had a form of self-righteousness. Now, not the kind of like high and snooty, like I'm, I'm too good for you. But I think he said, I, I know what the Bible says. And maybe he was saved. I don't know. I can't judge that. But I think he knew what the Bible said. And he's like, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Compared to the people around me, I look good. Everybody would speak highly of me. But I don't think that he was being God-righteous. I don't think he was looking at to God for his righteousness. 
and then he's going out living it out. I think he just had a form of self-righteousness that says, I'm okay. And we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at um, three different people, or a couple of different people. You have the self-righteous person, and you have the God-righteous person. If you remember last week, uh, we talked about sitting on the fence, and there really is no fence. There's the people who say strongly, like, I'm going to live for God. And I told you there's people I know who are strongly adamant. I don't care who God is. I don't believe he exists. I'm not doing that. And then there's the people in the middle who, who are trying to make up their mind, but there really is no middle ground because Jesus said last week, you're either on my side or you're not. He who gathers with me gathers or he who doesn't scatter. So there is no middle ground. So we're kind of continuing this thought. It's, it's worthwhile to go over it again. This first guy is going to be the self-righteous man. So Luke chapter 11, verses 24 to 26 it says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I know what I'll do. I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. So you have this picture of a guy who is demon-possessed. Remember last week there was a guy who was demon-possessed. The demon took control of his body so that he could not speak. And so we're just going to use that as a picture of a guy who's tormented by the devil. And Jesus goes and he casts out that demon, and the demon flees. Right? That's the right thing for a demon to do. If Jesus says, get out, he goes. And this, this demon goes to dry and arid places, and he, he doesn't like it there. He says, there's no peace here. There's no body to land in. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back, and I'm going to check out that body. I'm going to see what it's like. Because I enjoyed being in that body. I enjoyed tormenting that guy. I enjoyed laughing at the inside when I suffered, made him suffer in his mind, and then he couldn't tell people what was going on. So he goes, and he kind of looks around the corner, and he looks, and he somehow can tell that this man is clean on the inside. He just, he, he, it says that he, he swept everything clean. He made his life right. He, he didn't, uh, but it's still empty. He didn't replace it with something. There's not another spirit. There's not another demon. There's nothing there. And so this demon says, I know what I'm going to do. I got kicked out by myself. I'm going to grab seven more guys who are worse than me. And we're going to go, we're going to take over that body. And we're going to do what, we're going to make the condition of that man worse than it was at first. And if one demon's bad enough, guess what seven more are going to do? They're really going to mess with this guy. They're going to make his life even more miserable than it was at first. You know, there's, there's times where demons would take over a body and they would try to throw a boy into the fire. And so the, the father who talks to Jesus says, please, can you help me? Uh, different times the demon tries to throw the boy into the water to try to drown him. And so there's, there's all this turmoil. It's going to be really bad. But the thing about this guy was he, what, what he's really doing is he's saying, uh, it's almost like he got to the point where the demon got re released from him got cast out of his body, and he says, okay, good. That, that problem's gone, and I'm going to clean up my life, and I'm going to get out anything that caused me any kind of harm, and I'm going to just be a good guy. The thing he did not do was replace that demon. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what's going to be filling that empty spot? The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that you have eternal life, and guess what are not going to be together? The demon is not going to be there if the Holy Spirit is there. But this guy just says, you know what, thank you for getting rid of this demon because obviously I can't do this by myself. I can't get rid of this demon. 
Otherwise, I wouldn't have done that. And so he says, you know what? You know, if you think about the guy who uh, had this demon in him that made him to where he could not speak, I bet he knew exactly the right moment where that took place. You know, uh, because obviously he's talking, and then all of a sudden, he's not talking. And so he knows at just what point that demon got inside of him and started affecting him. So he says, I'm just going to make life clean. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of whatever it was. You know, so maybe he was, he, went, he was hanging out with some friends at a party. And maybe they were just making these wild, crazy drinks. And they're all drinking these things. And he knew after he took a drink of some wild concoction, he could no longer talk. He knew at that point the demon was in him. So he says, I'm not going back there. You know what? I'm going to get rid of those friends. I'm going to get rid of those drinks because I don't want to have this demon inside of me. I'm cleaning up my life, right? I used to be one way. I'm getting rid of everything that caused me harm, and so I'm a better person. Or maybe he, he was just doing some drugs, right? There's some wild and crazy drugs today. There probably were some back then. And he knew during the process of smoking this stuff or eating this stuff, the demon came inside of him, and he says, I don't like that. So he says, you know what? I'm going to dump the, the drugs in the, the cow manure, the pig manure, whatever, to get rid of it so nobody could ever eat that. And I'm cleaning my life up, right? He's doing the right thing. He's getting rid of that stuff. Uh, or maybe he was, you know, back then people tried to talk to the dead people. Even Saul in the Old Testament was trying to use a medium to get to a spirit. And maybe through that process... He got demon-possessed. He says, guess what? I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want this effect. I'm cleaning up my life, right? And the demon sees that he's gotten rid of all of this stuff. And a lot of people today try to do the same thing. They try to be self-righteous. They try to say, you know what? Uh, I know the things in my life that caused me harm in the past. You know, those wild and crazy days where I was driving like a maniac and I wrecked the car. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore, right? The drugs I used to take, the friends I used to hang out with, the, the activities I used to be a part of, I'm not going to do those because those had a negative effect on me. And so it's a form of self-righteousness. They're not replacing it with God. They're just getting rid of all the bad stuff. And I, I know people who are like this. Uh, there's a family that I know that while there was a, a grandpa, he was the spiritual leader of the family, everybody, oh, let, me, let me back up here for just a second. I want to go back to the fact that the condition is going to be worse than it was at first. Because they didn't re he didn't replace the demon with the Holy Spirit, because he was trying to be self-righteous, he was replaced, he's getting rid of the bad stuff, but he didn't replace it with something good. Uh, th this family that I know, they, they tried to do the right thing. I think all the people in the family tried to be moral. And while Grandpa was alive, and Grandpa was clearly the spiritual leader, but guess what? One day, Grandpa died. He's up in heaven, and he's excited because he's up there, and he's no longer suffering. But as soon as he died, guess what everybody did? They ran twice as fast, twice as hard, twice as bad as they ever were at first because they, they, they were just trying to be moral as long as the moral person was around. But once that moral uh, compass was gone, they said, we're going back. They started getting divorces. They started uh, doing drugs. They started... The language, they started everything that they possibly knew they shouldn't do, they started to do, and their condition was worse than it was at first. Now, I, I have to admit something. I like uh, self-righteous people. I really do. Not the kind that are high-fluting and snooty and think, oh, I'm better than you, self-righteous. But I like the kind of self-righteous person who's almost looking at themselves like they're the standard of, of what's right because 
They're the people who are going to do the right thing. They're the people who are going to be polite at the restaurant. They, they spill something, they're going to be the person who's going to try to be moral and try to help that situation out. They're going to be the people who obey laws. They're going to drive the speed limit. They're going to be the people who pay their taxes. They're going to be the people who have an image they want to uphold. They want people to think they're something special, so they're going to act like it, at least on the outward. They, they, have, they treat me nice. They're going to be friendly. Uh, they're going to be typically the kind of people who don't cause problems for other people. I like those kinds of people. They might even be the people who follow the golden rule that treat other people the way you want to be treated. And so that means they're going to treat me nice. They're going to treat my kids nice. They're going to treat, they're going to be good for society. That's why I like those people. But the thing is, good morals do not save anybody. They don't even make you any better than, I mean, you can be the most moral person, and you can have the person who does the most immoral things, and you just put them next to each other in front of God, and they, exact, they get exactly the same thing. They get punishment in hell if they don't have Jesus. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, does everything exactly right except stumbles at one point, is guilty of all. An example that goes with that passage is showing favoritism. That's not murder. That's not stealing. Favoritism is like treating one person better than another person. That doesn't even seem like that big of a deal. But if you do that, you're guilty of breaking everything. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is nobody who does good. There's, uh, all have turned away. They have together become worthless, have become corrupt because they have done something wrong. So even the most moral person who has only done one or two things that he would consider bad is just as guilty as the person who's tried to do everything wrong. So there's, there is no way to be self-righteous enough to live by my own standard enough to be good enough to get to heaven. I have to, there's only one righteousness that counts, and that's the God-righteous way, the God-righteous man. You find verses 27 to 28. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and they obey it. Now, I'm not trying to say in any way, shape, or form that you're considered righteous, uh, God-righteous, because you hear God's words and put them into practice. Because there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. But it's still important that we do this, that we, we take God's word. And we will become more righteous, but the righteous person is going to do that. He's going to hear God's word. He's going to put himself in a position to hear from God. And guess what each of you guys did today? You put yourself in a position to hear from God. I give you praise. I give you kudos for doing that. Uh, you, there's other places that you can put yourself in a position to hear from God. You could tune into the radio. Uh, yesterday, uh, Noah and Caleb got this gift from Leslie's dad, and it was a little uh, a circuit snap board. And if you did things just correctly, you can pick up a radio station. And so they're, they're running around the house, and they're picking up radio station here, radio there. Finally, they got a Christian radio station. So even on this little circuit board with the right little piece, you can pick up uh, a good message, a good station. So you could definitely do that uh, on a real radio, right? You understand? Uh, you can turn it, uh, the internet. There's internet sources all over the place. You can listen to Dr. David Jeremiah. You can listen to uh, Charles Wendall. You can listen to person after person that you'd like to listen to. That, you're putting yourself in a position to hear from God. Bible studies. 
uh, here on Thursday night, guess what? You're putting yourself in a position to hear from God. Wednesday morning, 5.30, yes, it is early. I am not an early person. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm laying there at 5.15, like, no limit to sources where you can hear from God. There's no limit to time. Um, you can open your own Bible, right? And you can read for yourself. Everybody has a Bible. Everybody knows how to read. We can do that, and we can hear from God. No time in history has it been easier to hear from God. You know, uh, you find something that you hear on a message, and you want to go back and hear it again. Guess what? You get on the Internet, and you listen to it over and over and over and clarify what did he really mean? What were those verses that backed that up? And you can get the, the whole definition, the whole meaning of a message, instead of like right now where it's like, okay, I tuned out for a little while, and so now I missed something, or I didn't understand, and it's too late. But you have all sorts of uh, things at your fingertips. Uh, but it was not just hearing it. It's not just letting the, the, the words hit my ears. And I, my favorite example of this is kids, because you tell them, I want you to pick up your room. I want you to do the dishes. I want you to do these things. And then what happens? Next thing you're like, uh, hello, how come you're not washing the dishes? How come you're not uh, cleaning your room? Be because it hits their ears. And that's it. It's like the sound drum. You know, it hits and it bounces off and it goes wherever. It's not just opening up my Bible, which I can do these things too and say, man, my eyes hit a lot of words today. And I, I can even sort of skim over it and read it and say I understand it. It's not just hearing it. That way, it's trying to understand it. Now, I know that's hard to do. It takes a lot of work sometimes to understand what is God trying to say? What does this really mean? Some guy on the radio gets up and makes it sound like it's a piece of cake, but it is a lot of work. And there's lots of resources that we can look at. Uh, in the back of your church directory, I, I put a lot of resources. Some of those I go to. One of those things that I, that's very easy to remember, you guys remember the Got Milk commercials? where everybody got their mouth full and, and they need something to drink and they're always saying got milk and well there's this site called gotquestions.org it's a very very good site and you can ask your own questions and you can look up answers to other people's questions but it's a very good source to help you understand what you're what you've read uh, there's biblehub.org there's blue letter bible there's carm which is a Christian research and apologetic ministry, or something, Christian and apologetic research ministry. And so there's just ample sources, good sources, to help you understand what you don't understand the first or the second or the third time you read it, because it takes a lot of work. You know, but, and not everybody has the same privileges that we do, and I'm not going to beat anybody up about this, because guess what? I would have to beat myself up about this, but not, a, not everybody has the same kind of resources at their fingertips that we do. If you picture people in other countries, you know, I've heard stories of people who have, uh, they'll, they'll sit on a day a week, like on a Sunday, and they'll sit there for two hours, and they'll listen to a guy get up and talk, and he's preaching, and he's preaching hard, and he's preaching fast for two hours, and we're like, great, I can't hardly get through 20 minutes or 30 minutes of this, but they don't have, no one has a Bible. The only access they have to God's Word is what they're getting. And sometimes they'll take a Bible and they'll, they'll carefully rip it apart and say, here, Lauren, you get Matthew. And here, Anita, you get Mark. And here, you know, Sharon, you can have First John. And they'll divide it up and they'll read it and they'll memorize and they'll keep passing this around because that's the only access that they have. They'll risk life and limb to do that. 
And if they'll, they're willing to risk life and limb, and they're willing to, to put themselves in a position to hear God's word. And we have all the access in the world to, to, to every different translations and different versions and more interesting preachers and all sorts of things like that. Just like them and like us, we could be in the same boat if we only hear it. If we, if we never put it into practice, they're not any better because they risk life and limb. We're not any worse because we had everything. If we don't put it into practice, then it's meaningless. There, there's no point to it. There's no point to even reading God's word if we're not going to do what it says. He says if you're going to be blessed, you're going to obey it. You're going to put it into practice, which I realize is easier said than done. Right? There's lots of tough things in the Bible uh, that we've come across that if we're going to put it into practice, that's not going to be easy to do. A couple of weeks ago, Noah and Les and I, right before school, I don't know how this got going, but Noah said there was something in the scriptures he didn't agree with. And it was about women preachers. And I said, so we discussed it and why the Bible said it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it, but that's what it says, and so that's what we try to follow. And so we're walking to school, and I started telling Noah, you know what? There are things in the Bible I don't like either. I really wish it didn't say there. So I, I wrote down a couple of them. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 20. And I don't think you guys are going to be particularly fond of these things either. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's bad enough having somebody that you want revenge on, right? Somebody has done something mean to you. Guess what I want? I want revenge. I want justice. I want it to be done right now. I don't want to wait for God. He's going to take too, too long to do it, or he's not going to be as just as I want him to be. But then it gets worse. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't like that. Okay? You do something mean to me, I want to get even. But I have to say, okay, as much as I can, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Another example, uh, I think about the foxes. Because uh, they, they're talking about this kind of a depression, a spiritual warfare that they're going through. Uh, Hebrews 13.3 is talking about uh, something along, along those lines and how we're supposed to respond to it. It says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. How many people like to suffer? Not me. I want to get out of it as fast as I can. If I've had a bad day at work and I got bad things, you know, frustrations on my mind, I want to put on the, the, the movie and forget about it, right? I don't want to think about my own problems, let alone somebody else's, right? I don't want to, it's hard to put myself in the fox's shoes. And remember what they're going through and to pray for them because it makes me feel bad. I'm one of those people, when I come across someone else who's in pain or having a bad day, I, I want to take that upon myself. I don't want to do that. you got people across the, the countries that are put in prison for their faith. And it's like, I don't want to think about those people because I can't do anything about it. I know it's miserable. But I'm supposed to remember them and so that I pray for them and ask for God to bless them. You know, the worst thing you can do is if you... Our suffering is to be alone, right? And to feel alone. And so we got to make sure we pray for those people. I got more examples. I'll only, I'll only throw one more at you. Uh, Matthew 5.23 says, If your brother has something against you, go to him. 
and, and work it out. Now, how do I want to respond? Hey, Noah's got something uh, wrong with me. Guess what? That's his problem. He can suffer. He can deal with it. He, I don't care if, it, if he eats him alive because it's his problem. But it says if he has something against you, go to him. And I've had to do that. And I hate it. Because it's like it's your problem. And I, I, I got to go be a peacemaker, right? I got to go enter a conflict to try to make things right. And I don't want to do that. And there are so many things in here that I'm like, this is, it's a good thought to put it into practice, but it's not easy to do. But it says you will be blessed if you do it. And we might just say, well, thanks, I'll pass on the blessing. But that's not the way to look at it. And the, the thing is, you got to go through the fire. You got to go through putting these things into practice in order to experience the blessing. But people don't want to do that. They don't want to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy. They want to just say, I'm going to be happy my own way. I'm going to, I'll just let God do whatever he wants. But if we're going to be blessed, we got to stick with it. We got to go through the fire. We got to talk to that person who has something against us. We got to remember those who are suffering as if we were suffering with them. We got to let God take care of it. And that's really hard to do, but we, it's putting into practice. And if you do, you will be blessed. Some of those blessings are going to show up now. You're going to see, uh, one of my examples was getting rid of things that cause temptation. Why do we have temptation? We like those things, right? It's hard to get rid of them. The example is cutting off your hand and getting rid of it, which means that's painful to do. But I realized, you know what? Not having that temptation anymore, as much as it was painful to get rid of that, all of a sudden I have, my life is a whole lot better. God doesn't just try to make my life miserable with all these rules. He's saying, your life is going to be better. A doctor says, quit eating that junk food. Your body will work better. Boy, that's tough to get rid of those potato chips. And it's tough to get rid of every X, Y, and Z. But your body functions better. And your, your, your life will be better if you're willing to put these into practice. But the choice is yours. So you've got the person who says, I'm self-righteous. I don't need Jesus. And I'm just going to try to be as good as I can. You have the person who says that I'm God-righteous, and he says I'm going to hear God's word, and I'm going to put it into practice. And then this third part is the guy who's undecided, which I told you there is no middle ground. There is, there's a line. you got this side or you got this side. There's no room to sit on a fence. This third guy, uh, verses 29 to, to 32, says, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asked for a miraculous sign. But none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment, and the men of this generation will condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now when greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So there's, it says... These people last week, uh, there were three different responses for what Jesus did when he cast the demon out of that man. The first was some people were in awe. They were impressed that Jesus could do this. You had the Pharisees who were trying to commit blasphemy and saying, hey, we're going to give credit to the devil for something that God did. And then you have the people who wanted to see more miracles. And it wasn't because they were trying to be convinced. They weren't sitting on what they would call a fence and trying to decide which way to go. These are people who had proof. They just wanted to be entertained. They just wanted to have more and more reason. But enough proof, there was never going to be enough proof. They were never going to get to the point where they were going to say, okay, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and keep going. And he says, this is a wicked generation that's asking for the sign. He 
says there's no other sign you're going to get except for the sign of Jonah. There's two ways to look at this. The first, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus, at that point, hadn't got there yet. He wasn't in the earth for three days and three nights, but that's going to come. So Jesus could be saying, hey, you guys keep this thought in your mind because this is the only proof you're going to have. When you think back and remember that Jesus died on the cross, he was stuck in the ground and he came back out, that's going to be proof to you that, uh, that Jesus really is real. That's the only sign you're going to get that Jesus really is the Messiah and that he is who he claimed to be. The other thing is when Jonah talked to the people of Nineveh, there were over 300,000 people that came to, uh, to, to, to faith in God. Jonah had preached. It took three days to get through that city. And it says there were 120,000 people who didn't know their left hand from their right hand which could most likely means these are little kids. There's 120,000 little kids. The Assyrian uh, scholars said there's, there's between like 300 and 600,000 people who repented and put their faith in God because of Jonah's message. That's 100,000 people a day. That's pretty impressive, right? Wouldn't you like that? If you could just get one person a day, you'd feel like you scored, right? But uh, uh, 300,000 people came to putting their faith in, in God because of Jonah's message. And, and as, as Jonah preached that message and lives were changed, guess what? Jesus is preaching his message and lives are changed. So we say, look, you guys look around. You see these people, the demons are leaving. You see people are walking with the Lord. You see people are putting their faith in him. And as you keep seeing example after example, that's the proof that you're going to get that Jesus really is real, that he really is God's son, that he really is going to die on the cross so that you could have eternal life. That's the only proof that you're going to get. And he says, you guys, uh, you know, it's going to be really bad for these people. Because it says when they die, there's going to be the queen of the south. And there's going to be the people of Nineveh all right there condemning them. They're not going to be condemning them, like, verbally. Like, how, how I, I accepted the message. Why didn't you? But I think the fact that they are there, they're showing that they have put their faith in God. The queen of the south came from miles upon miles to hear Solomon speak. It says one greater than Solomon is here. And through what Solomon said, I think she came to know God because she's going to be there at the judgment. And all the people that Jesus is talking to, they're right there. They didn't have to go anywhere, but they still would not accept the message that Jesus gave, even though he was right there. The people of Nineveh, 300,000 of them came to know the Lord because of what Jonah said. Guess what? Jonah didn't do a single miracle. Uh, he had a very simple message, at least of what's recorded. Jonah 3.3, 3, or 3.4, it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's the only thing that's recorded that he said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. I think maybe part of the key was the Ninevites were enemies of Israel. You have one person who's willing to walk into the enemy camp and tell them a message like that. There's got to be some truth to it. And everybody turned, but he didn't do miracles to say, hey, I'm going to prove this to you. He says, I'm giving you a message from God. Take it or leave it. I hope you leave it, but take it or leave it. The people of that day, guess what they had? Miracle after miracle after miracle, and they still were not willing to accept it. So they're going to be standing there at the judgment, and it's going to be really awkward for a lot of people because they were not willing to accept the proof that they got, or how, the proof that they got. And it says, now one greater than Jonah is here, and that's Jesus. He's there at that day. 
you know, and there's, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of people, and I, I bet that's each one of you in here who have put your faith in Jesus. You know, you didn't, you, you went to VBS, and you went to Bible school, and you had people teach you about the Lord, but how many people had Jesus come sit on your, your bedside and say, hey, look, Noah, hey, look, Josh, hey, look, Nick, I'm Jesus, and I'm here, and I came to die on the cross to pay for your sins. Did anybody do that? I mean, did Jesus come and do that? Uh, he never did that to me. He never gave me a miracle and says, here, Josh, I'm going to prove to you that I'm really there. And so, but, we, but we're kind of, we're like uh, the, the people of Nineveh where we said, you know what, there is enough proof. I, I mean, there is no, there, were, there was no miracles that you did, but the message that I heard was enough to convince me that I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I, I still have to ask the question, has the, have you made that choice to make your righteousness based off of your own, the self-righteous, like I really am a good person compared to everybody else. I'm a righteous person. Nobody would say a bad word about me. Or if you said, you know what? I'm a really good person, but I'm not good enough, right? I need God's righteousness in order to get to heaven. And so I've made that choice that I'm not going to be on the wrong side of the fence. I'm going to jump the fence and get on God's side of the fence. And if you said, yes, I have, Josh. You've brought this up enough times. I've heard the message of salvation. I've believed it. I'm trusting Jesus alone for my salvation. Great. I'm, that's, that's all you can hope for. Except for, do you hear God's word? Do you put yourself in a position to hear it? And then do you put it into practice? I would encourage you and challenge you. It's not easy. You've got to make the choice, I'm going to follow Jesus for salvation. You've got to make the choice, and I'm going to hear God's word, and I'm going to uh, put it into practice. It's not an easy choice, but if you make the right choice to trust God for salvation and His righteousness, guess what? You're going to be blessed with eternal life. If you, if you hear God's word and you put it into practice, God's going to bless you for that. I encourage you to make your choice and to choose the right choice and to choose Jesus. Choose God's righteousness and not your own. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this message. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the salvation that you freely give us. God, we don't deserve it. God, we do, there is no way that we deserve to have your salvation. God, we have hurt you and, and over and over. Even after the fact we've, we put our faith in you, God, we have not been perfect. But you still, you haven't taken that salvation away from us. So I thank you for that. God, I pray for your help to hear your word, to put ourselves in positions to read it, to understand it, to meditate on it, and that we would do what it says. God, I know there's lots of difficult things in there that we don't want to put into practice. I don't want to. I don't like them. But I need your help to do it. I know it's what's best for me. So I pray that you'd help me to do it. And I pray for help for everybody in here to do the same thing as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.